Lowry on the way. Good! Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has a rocket! Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah! Yeah! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, your Cleveland Cavalier podcast host slash voice of Fox Sports Radio. Coming into the evening on what was the end of a two-game road trip that sent us to Texas. The first game, just a few days ago, saw quite the opposite result. A loss to the hapless San Antonio Spurs, in which Lamar Stevens was greatly maligned. Not on this podcast. I said that his zero-point goose egg that he put up, I didn't notice it as much as Cavalier Twitter, and I didn't think that he played awful in that game. The man didn't take a shot from the floor. So it's not as if he had a woefully inefficient night. He just did not assert himself. That could not be further from what happened tonight. And I felt coming in that his importance tonight would be notable because of the assignment he would draw guarding one of the league's best players. And certainly, it wasn't an individual clamp job by Lamar Stevens. It was a total team effort on the defensive end. But at the end of the night, the Cavaliers not only came away with a 15-point victory over the Dallas Mavericks to end their road trip and set up a slate of six consecutive home games heading into this holiday season, but it came along with the best game that we've seen from Lamar Stevens this season. And historically, over the course of his entire tenure in the NBA, it's safe to say that this was his second best game. You may recall... A night against the Utah Jazz back in January where he scored 23 points, had 7 rebounds, shot 10 for 15. That game, yes, that's better. He had an 18.3 block night against the Philadelphia 76ers in April. Also, a very solid effort and on even more limited minutes. He did that in 12 less minutes, but now he got big time run. 38 because of Osmond's big fat zero. We'll get back to that later, continuing on. 18 points. 11 rebounds, 8 for 15 from the floor, good for second most attempts. Donovan Mitchell led the way with 20 attempts. But Lamar Stevens did exactly what we have all been crying for this entire year, whether it's Levert, whether it's Dean Wade, whether it's Stevens or Osman, who we didn't see any of tonight. He has been banished, much like last year, into the DNPCD column. And who knows if and when he will return from there. But let's not start the podcast talking about that let's keep it focused and the 34 points we got out of donovan mitchell we saw two excellent individual performances from both those guys and we saw stevens doing everything that you could hope for in a secondary offensive option tonight he worked his ass off on defense he crashed the glass he led the team in rebounds he almost collected more rebounds than both mobley and allen together 13 rebounds for the two big men 11 For Lamar Stevens, but the baseline dives. One big three-pointer. Didn't shoot particularly well from range, but he did bang down a big corner three later on in the game, and he paced out his production in a way. His first half, not particularly loud. Five points, four rebounds, but Luka, his main defensive assignment, just four for 14 in digging that 21-point hole. Then the other side of the floor showed up in the second half. 13 points in the second half. 
nine of which came in the last quarter on four for five shooting to slam the nail in the coffin. So believe me when I say I totally understand being reactionary. I am often reactionary. I was ready to wave Robin Lopez after the Thunder game. I get it. Sometimes a guy looks very good one game and like dog shit the next game. But I think as it relates to Lamar Stevens, I didn't think he looked like dog shit against the Spurs. I think that he just didn't take any shot attempts. And it was amplified by the fact that the team that we lost to was playing out of their minds. However, over the course of the season, I don't care what the advanced numbers say in this particular case. I love data. I think anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I will often cite numbers. I will often look at things that I don't know necessarily appear in the eyeball test. Sometimes it's to confirm my own beliefs. Sometimes it goes in direct conflict with them. Raptor numbers for Evan Mobley and stuff that says that we're better without him on the floor or that he's a negative. That's the stuff that I I oppose because I'm watching it and I see the types of things that happen that don't translate to a box score. And I know that's not the case. And with Stevens, confidence and aggression cannot be quantified. There are times where I'll look at his box score numbers and it says he's three for 10. Now you could focus on the fact that that is a bad shooting percentage. But if that came because he dove to the rim and he challenged guys who contested him and he just didn't finish, I will take that every day of the week over a man who is scared to shoot and whose defender doubles are better offensive creators like Mitchell and Garland and Mobley and Allen. We need somebody who will test these defenses if they test him. There are moments where his less impressive statistical output than, say, a Karis Levert sometimes feels much more critical because of his ability to guard two to fives, sort of, really more like two to fours. But there are a lot of incredible wings in this league. And guys like Giannis and Luka and Durant, those are going to be people who are impediments to the Cavs getting to where they need to be, Tatum as well. Stevens is going to be essential in both shielding our elite big men from unnecessary fouls and wearing those guys out as much as possible on one end of the floor in hopes that you get a clunker of a shooting night like we did from Luka. And especially when we can all acknowledge that we have a gaping hole at the backup center. And I'm not counting Mobley as a backup center. I mean, if he and Allen are in foul trouble, it is a massive drop-off to go to Lopez. So Stevens becomes even more critical. We need to keep Mobley or Allen on the floor at all times as much as humanly possible. For everyone saying that this man needs to be banished into the DNPCD realms that Chetty Osman now occupies. I hope that this game gives you some perspective, that Lamar Stevens is unfortunately, or fortunately, however you choose to view it, one of our most consistent options on the wing, at least until Dean Wade gets back. As things go, I would expect that we'll continue to see is that when either Mitchell or Levert goes to the bench, sorry, not Levert, Mitchell or Garland goes to the bench, Levert will be brought in to serve as a secondary creator. But as it relates to the wings, my hope is that Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens end up holding down most of the minutes there. I do not dislike Osman. I dislike the inconsistency. And I dislike that the pattern we're seeing is very reminiscent of last year. He had a great beginning of the season. All through November, most of December, he was pretty solid for the Cavs. Then he fell out of favor 
in early 2022 and had a huge stretch of games where he didn't play for whatever reason. And I assume it's because his defense is generally pretty bad despite his streaky offense. Osmond has again found himself in the doghouse with Bickerstaff. But while I don't know that I agree with the decision to just yank him totally out of the lineup, here's where I would tolerate it. If Wade can come back and we get consistent, if not stellar production from Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens, serviceable two-way play, well, then maybe Osman, his non-guaranteed $6.7 million deal next year, become a more valuable trade chip and give us some options in that regard to try to address some of the holes that we have. I'm not holding my breath for that, though. He has fallen off in a big way after averaging 12 points a game in October. He's down to eight points a game, but more concerning, this month in six games, shooting just 22% from outside. That is not going to make a lot of people clamor to have him. And that's to say nothing of the fact that for two straight seasons now, we've seen JB decide that he's more valuable off the court than he is on the court. And this is one of those areas where I don't, I'm not one of, I've never been a guy who's like fire JB. I think you can crush him on rotations, but a lot of times he puts in guys who have been playing well and then they lay a big fat turd. That is the nature of a lot of the guys that we have coming off the bench. They are simply not consistent players. I guess that's why I'm pleased or relatively pleased anyway with Lamar Stevens is because I think his defense has been very consistent and at least his desire to take advantage of offensive opportunities has been pretty consistent. Meanwhile, you have Okoro, he's a, he's a roller coaster ride. You got Love, same way. You got Osmond, same way. But oftentimes, we see these spurts from Osmond where his best play is when he's treated with the longest leash. And I don't know from a psychological standpoint, here I am playing armchair psychiatrist here, but Osmond, I don't think he responds to these things well, being jerked out of the lineup. I don't think that you're just going to see him get inserted back in later and all of a sudden resume being a you know 12 to 15 point per game off the bench score. These things tend to make him crumble, in my view, because we don't have a long track record of him all of a sudden putting it together after he's disciplined. Not to mention, we hold him... Let's just be honest here. He's held to a different standard than a lot of our veterans who have also sucked. Love keeps going out there and his production has been waning. Okoro keeps going out there and some games he's okay, some games he's downright terrible. But their minutes and their role has been fairly consistent. Perhaps that's because we simply don't have other options. But the same could be said for Osman, and we've managed to find a way to take him out of the lineup altogether. So, but... If we're committed to this path of not playing him or removing him from the rotation, then I hope they at least look to shop him because we need bodies. Backup big man, something that we might want to consider. We didn't need much of it tonight. Again, Lopez only got out there in garbage time. I would humor that idea. However, I'm more on the side of questioning what it is that JB's doing here and hoping that there's a better explanation than the one that we got last season. It was pretty much radio silence when he got yanked. But let's get this turned around here. This is a night in which we won. Here I am, sitting here, telling you that the fourth quarter stud was Lamar Stevens. Now, Evan Mobley, very good fourth quarter himself. Six of his 14 points coming in closing time did not miss a bucket. But back below 10 shot attempts. 
He had finally started to crack double-digit shot attempts three consecutive games before this, and then tonight rolled around, and Lamar Stevens said, no, sir, that usage is going to me. I'm going to pace the way in plus-minus. I will put a bookend on this game and send us into this home stretch, looking to surge our way back up and create some separation between us and the Nets. Take a moment here to parallel what happened tonight with the Cleveland Cavaliers winning with what happened with the Indiana Pacers, our next opponent winning. Earlier in the day, I was just perusing the athletic, the ringer, and I saw an article about the 100 best players in the NBA. So, of course, I wanted to see where do our Cavs stack up, and four of them made an appearance on this list. You have Donovan Mitchell at number 17. You have Darius Garland at number 27. Then the big men. Evan Mobley at number 43, and Jared Allen at number 49. Four Cavs in the top 50. Certainly nothing to complain about. Now, I could nitpick a bit. I think Jared Allen, over the course of the season, has proven to be more valuable than Evan Mobley at this point in time. I don't know that that will hold up long term, of course. I believe in the potential and the development of Evan Mobley, but that's neither here nor there. That's not what I'm here to debate or discuss. It's that up the chart from Evan Mobley at 43, we land at 33rd overall, where a man who was nearly killed the other night in Milwaukee sits. That man, Draymond Green, a nemesis of the Fear the Fro podcast, described by the ringer as a, quote, brilliant defender and playmaker who, even beyond the challenging fit of his scoreless skill set, has a knack for self-sabotage. That is an apt description. Maybe not the brilliant part. Draymond, for as intelligent as people try to tell me that he is on the basketball court, is perhaps one of the dumbest players the moment the whistle is blown in the NBA. And that reared its ugly head tonight against our next opponent, the Indiana Pacers. Now first, let's hearken back to when he took on the Milwaukee Bucks and nearly lost his life. Cue the audio. What did they say to you? Uh, Some threatening stuff to my life. So, you know, um, I was this close to really going back and, like, diving all the way in, but kind of just went back and told the official. And when I told the official what he said, he's like, oh, he got to get out of here. And he got to get out of here. So Draymond, who coincidentally was getting the doors kicked in, found a, a way to get a fan tossed out. And then, wouldn't you know it, karma has a strange way of rearing its beautiful head. Tonight, Draymond Green himself was ejected after committing two technical fouls in the span of about, well, zero actual basketball seconds in terms of the running clock because after being called for a foul and getting a first technical, he, of course, couldn't let it go. Despite the fact that it was early fourth quarter and his team was down by 11, still absolutely a winnable game. In fact, they ended up losing to the Pacers by only six. In that moment... He gave away two technical free throws and found himself out of the game, a game in which Steph Curry had been lost earlier to a shoulder injury. So were the odds long that they would defeat the Pacers? Absolutely. But when you're already missing one of the best players in the NBA and Steph Curry, two needless technicals is not the way to go. And just a beautiful juxtaposition to Lamar Stevens' stat line tonight. Draymond finished with more turnovers, six, than he did points, rebounds, and assists. 
collectively. One point, two rebounds, three assists, six turnovers. This man is the 33rd best player in the NBA. He's looking down at Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. If we're to believe the ringer, Rudy Gobert, DeJounte Murray, Bradley Beal, DeMontis Sabonis, our own former player, Lowry Markkinen. All of these guys are considered by the ringer to be worse players. I'm beginning to think that maybe that fan who was so ready to take the life of Draymond Green perhaps kidnapped the families of all the writers at the ringer and told them, listen, I will wipe out your entire bloodline if you don't rank Draymond Green as the 33rd best player in the NBA because there is no conceivable reason why he should be up high on that list unless somebody has photographs of somebody on the staff of the ringer, Kevin O'Connor or somebody doing something heinous, having sex with a dog. Screw the pooch. See that full circle? I brought it back. Now, has anyone seen that episode of Black Mirror where the guy fucks the pig, by the way? I don't know why I'm talking to you like you can respond to me, but hold on. Okay, cleanse the palate. Wait for this boner to subside. Anyway, we're back. At what point does legacy and reputation and team success wear off when people are... How, how long do I have to hear, oh, well, this man, he just knows how to help a team win. Really? Look at the Warriors right now. They have the same issues we have. They win at home. They lose on the road. The difference is our team is made up of players 26 years old and younger none of whom have won a title with the exception of really Kevin Love as an integral piece. Meanwhile, the Warriors, fresh off a title, are playing as if they're trying to get into the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. And Draymond is a big part of that. Just a complete emotional liability. I was talking to a Warriors fan friend tonight during the game, and I believe he put it well when he said that uh, his basketball IQ may be high, but his emotional IQ is devastatingly low. So, I'm sorry that he almost lost his life the other night. It's a real tragedy, and I'm sorry that he felt scared. It's good to see that he bounced back with a big performance in a game where suffered yet another loss to the Indiana Pacers. Now, let's transition to that. Talk about the Mavericks, disparage Draymond, pivot to our next opponent, the Indiana Pacers. Now, the difference between the Pacers and the Dallas Mavericks could not be more stark. Yes, they do have certain similarities. The Pacers are another team who likes to put up three-point shot attempts. They're fourth in the league in attempts. They're third in makes. They have a bunch of excellent shooters, the most notable one being Buddy Heald, who has been all throughout trade talks across the league due to the nature of the Pacers' situation and his perceived value. The Pacers are a team that plays with pace. I didn't mean that as any type of play on words. It's just... That's what it is. The Cavaliers, devastatingly slow. One of the worst two teams in the league in terms of pushing the ball. Not that that's necessarily a negative thing if you're effective in the half court. But the Pacers are a team which looks to push the ball in transition, take advantage of their youth, get good looks. Certainly against the Cavaliers, they're going to be looking to do that because tonight against the Golden State Warriors, they rolled up a lineup that was mostly guards and smaller wings guys below six foot six Smith, they had Nemhard, they had healed they had tyrese halliburton and miles turner best year of his career so far in points field goal percentage three-point percentage rebounds and even free throw attempts that's a very small lineup and they're not going to want to find themselves in half court situations where they have to take on evan mobley and jared allen so they're going to push the ball 
as much as possible. We're going to get a look at a backcourt, which which we've discussed in some detail on this podcast, because Tyrese Halliburton is having a hell of a season, leading the league in assist percentage and overall assist per game. Benedict Matherin, after starting out incredibly well, has seen a bit of a slide, an Osman-like slide just on higher volume and scoring in October. Came in blazing, 20 points a game, four rebounds. In December, he's been averaging just 13 points. And his percentages have dipped nearly 10% from the field and 30% from three-point range. Now, a good night tonight against the Warriors. Those numbers that I was giving you, those were pregame. So those will be altered slightly because we saw an incredible showing from the Pacers in the first half as they opened up a 25-point lead behind a 17-point second quarter from Tyrese Halliburton. And he had an excellent compliment in Benedict Matherin. And they held on. They only won by six, but they won. And it puts them in this weird predicament now because this is a Pacers team everybody expected to be a seller. And any of the veterans that they have, be it Miles Turner or Buddy Heald, would find themselves on the way out. I still believe that Buddy Heald will absolutely 100% be traded because he's playing well. He's getting them into games and perhaps helping them win games that if you're being a Pacers fan, you probably would rather lose. Existing in this middle ground, right now they're the seventh seed in the East. They're 15 and 14, so they have a winning record. Being in this position is certainly not beneficial if they have hopes of adding elite draft prospects. One of the most elite of all time could be in play. So certainly they're going to want to make a decision regarding what they do with Buddy Heald or Miles Turner moving forward. I could see them holding on to Turner. He's playing very well. He's still very young. Buddy Heald, though, next season... He's got one year remaining on his deal after this at nearly $20 million, and he will be 31 during the course of the season. That does not align with their core at all. It's very similar to the Larry Nance situation. He had value. We moved him to bring in a guy closer to our timeline, and Lowry Markinen, who then became Donovan Mitchell. But it's it's not all that different from what the Pacers are looking at with Heald. Heald is an elite three-point shooter. He's playing very productive right now, even playing better defense than he has in past seasons. You can likely retrieve some sort of first-round pick. It might not be unprotected, but you could get a reasonably good first-round pick for him. Or you could swing for the fences and trade Turner, too, if you really don't think that he has a role with you. But you have to question that, seeing that this is that's not an old player, 26 years old, having a career year, and without many better options. Because what they've seen is, despite... Isaiah Jackson is just not much of an offensive threat, and he doesn't have a lot of weight. Despite being a freak athlete, I liked him a lot. I like him as a guy who tries super hard, a great hustle big, can jump through the roof, but his lack of girth and weight is going to hold him back against some of the bigger centers, and he doesn't have much of an offensive game. Here's something that's kind of mind-blowing. Benedict Matherin weighs more than Isaiah Jackson. Let that sink in. Now, if he could develop a jump shot and spread the floor a bit, he could end up as an OG Ananobi type, but that would take a massive change in the trajectory of his career. When you're starting from a low point, which we can all attest to with a guy like Okoro, sometimes just climbing to an average point can take years. So who knows what we'll see out of Jackson long-term, but between Jalen Smith and Miles Turner and Isaiah Jackson, their front court, that's where they'll be wanting to add draft picks and prospects moving forward. The backcourt is stocked. They have Halliburton, they have Matherin, they have Heald, they have Nemhard, And let's not forget the man who got a triple-double with 10 steals against us in 2021 
hurt most of last season, TJ McConnell. That group looks to be set, but the front court is where I expect the Pacers to place their focus. At some point, we're going to see them move healed. Who knows when that will be, and perhaps at that point, they'll regress. But Halliburton has played so well, he's definitely having an all-star year. And if there was much of a discussion in regards to Garland and Halliburton two weeks ago, the distance is widening. And I say that knowing full well that two games ago, Halliburton had his worst game of the year, went 0 for 9 from the floor. But he bounced back in a big way tonight. Over the course of the season, he has proven to be more consistent, more efficient, a better protector of the ball. He has allowed them to climb over teams which many people predicted would be better than them, that being the Heat, the Hawks, the Raptors, the Bulls. All those teams have found themselves probably lower than they hoped to be, whether that be due to age or injuries or just a step backwards. In the case of the Toronto Raptors, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., even Scotty Barnes, they have all looked worse than they did last year. And despite OG looking very good and Pascal looking very good, that's a team that I hope the Cavs can finally break this losing streak to when we see them Christmas week. So let's put a bookend on tonight. Donovan Mitchell with another incredible scoring performance, most of it coming in the first half. Lamar Stevens with his best game of the season, one of the best, probably the second best of his career. Osman, nowhere to be found. JB, still sitting on that challenge, which he probably should have used. That is what I will say about that play with Jared Allen. The man works his ass off at the rim. When he gets hosed on a call, you're up by 18. Use the fucking challenge. And then Darius Garland started out incredibly well. His first few possessions, it looked like he was set to have a monster night. At the end of the day, 12 points, 6 assists. Not awful. We won. That's the important thing. But still not the Darius Garland that you're used to seeing. And maybe a showcase game against Tyrese Halliburton will bring out the best in Garland. Uh, One would hope so. But with six games at home, I am optimistic that the Cavs are going to go on a big run here. We get the Pacers. We get the Mavericks again, who certainly I was very scared of Luka coming into this, but their team defense was excellent. That is the tough part for the Mavericks, despite having one of the best players in the NBA today. If you're that reliant on outside shooting, it's a sink or swim type situation. And it is such a luxury to have the type of play that we got tonight out of the front court. So, by the time you're listening to this podcast, it will probably be December 15th, which is a big day in the NBA trade landscape. It is when contracts that were signed this past offseason, those guys become eligible to be traded. So, a bunch more options in terms of who you can deal, who you can dump, different possibilities that come up. But I think we're still all waiting on the same stories that have kind of been fleshing out. What will the Lakers do? Will the Knicks figure out a way to get off of Randall or Fournier? What about Boyang Bogdanovich? What about a Kelly Oubre? The Pacers or the Jazz, if they backslide, do their veterans become available? There's a lot of names that have been bandied about by some of the Cavs fans in terms of players that they would like to add. But sadly, I think without first-round picks to trade, you're looking at guys the caliber of people that we already have in the rotation. A buyout market situation could prove to be different, but in terms of big upgrades at the wing position for the Cavaliers, I don't know that Okoro and Osman and second-round picks are really going to be that appealing of a package when you're paralleling them against teams that can put first-rounders on the table and other expiring money. And when it comes to expiring money, 
all that value is the same unless the player has bird rights and you're looking to retain him, which is usually not the case. Oftentimes you take on this dead money and the guy gets bought out almost instantaneously. So thank you for listening to the Fear the Fro podcast. Please, if you've taken anything away from this podcast today, I hope that it's life is devastatingly short. One day you're out there on the court kicking guys in the nuts, punching teammates in the face, recording triple singles, and the next day, you're dead. Draymond narrowly avoided losing his life the other day. Ah, some threatening stuff to my life. I could be hit by a car tonight after this podcast. So if you do one thing for me, leave a positive review. And if you want to leave a negative review, well then I hope that guy kills your whole family. Okay? Fear the Fro Podcast. I'll be back with another episode soon. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.